Welcome to the Touchdown Rundown. We talk about the NFL, and that's what we're doing here today on a Friday afternoon. I'm Tom Zoller, and my co-host Tony Nemedi are here. We're ready to talk about Matthew Stafford. Should he make the Hall of Fame? I don't think so, but Tony and I are going to debate it and see if we can kind of get a little bit closer to the truth of the matter. And then we're going to look at Zillow and how well it did this season in terms of accuracy and you know how it's improved from last season versus this season. So, Tony, why don't you take it away? Just let, let's go right into this debate. I know you're excited. I think you found some good numbers. So I've been fairly excited to hear it. My argument's pretty straightforward. All right. Do so you want me to go ahead and go first? Yeah, just take it away. Awesome. Okay. So before we get into it, I know that there is a metric that we both like to use for this kind of things. Uh, the Pro Football Reference has it. It's just the uh, Hall of Fame monitor. And so pretty much all it does just takes different players, gives them a Hall of Fame value. Uh, They have it separated into uh, positions. So quarterbacks, the average Hall of Fame quarterback has a value of 109. I'm not going to use this. And I'll tell you why, because Matthew Stafford is obviously a current quarterback. And I feel like that if I use this, it's going to be skewed. Uh, in favor of Matthew Stafford unfairly because a lot of these quarterbacks are obviously very old in different league. So I'm not going to use that. But what I am going to use is some stats of some of the more recent guys uh, that have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. So there are 27 Hall of Fame quarterbacks uh, throughout history. Three of them uh, ended their career past 2000. I'm taking out Troy Aikman and Warren Moon who ended their career in 2000. Because I do feel like that is still far enough where it skews things a little bit. So the three guys that ended their careers at a reasonable time were Kurt Warner, Brett Favre, and Peyton Manning. They are all actually in the Hall of Fame. So I feel like their numbers are going to be a little bit more fair in this debate. So looking at all of their stats, uh, I just kind of recorded all of their major ones. Touchdowns, interceptions. I threw in career touchdown-interception ratio, their yards completion percentage and passer rating. I also have their individual accolades, but I'll get to that separately. So I'm going to start out with stats. Uh, And something that I should preface with is when I look at a player, and I think Tom's going to agree with me on this part here, when we're looking at a player, the best way, the most fair way to kind of look at how they are is to look at the things that they have the most control over. To me, I think the thing that they have the most individual control over, even though it's not perfect, is just their stats. Second, I would say, is individual accolades. Third, and the worst metric, I think, is wins and Super Bowls and that kind of a thing, just because it's team sport. So I put the most emphasis on individual stats. That being said, when comparing Kurt Warner, Brett Favre, Peyton Manning to Matthew Stafford, Matthew Stafford has the actually not the shortest career. Kurt Warner had 12 seasons in the NFL, but he is actually not last in any stats. So I have highlighted in red, uh, gone through each of the stats for the four of these guys and highlighted who was the worst in each of them. So Kurt Warner has the fewest touchdowns of these four. Brett Favre is the most interceptions. Brett Favre has the worst career touchdown interception ratio. Kurt Warner has the fewest yards. Brett Favre has the lowest completion percentage and the worst passer rating of all of these guys. So I think that is one huge thing to look at when we're looking at stats. If Matthew Stafford were to retire right now and be considered for the Hall of Fame, he would have better stats in some form than every single guy on this list. So I do think that that is a major starting point. Now, 
to go on from this, we can then look at, well, what are Matthew Stafford's individual accolades compared to the rest of these guys? And that is where the argument against him starts. Now, as I said earlier, I'm going to look at stats before I look at individual accolades, even though these are important. Matthew Stafford does not have any MVPs. He does not have any first-team All-Pro selections. He does have one Pro Bowl. So looking at these three things, those other guys up here, they all have multiple MVPs. They all have multiple first-team All-Pro selections. They all have multiple Pro Bowls. So that's where these guys are really going to separate themselves from Matthew Stafford. I think MVP and AP first team all pro and pro bowl, really all of them. The reason that I don't love to use these stats is because not only does it rely on the individual player having a fantastic season, it also relies on how the other players around you play. And I think that uh, one thing that Tom and I have talked about before is MVPs are cool and all they are great. But there are some MVP seasons that are just better than others. There are some years where every player kind of has an okay year, and then it's kind of like an MVP that doesn't really feel like it counts. And there are other years where one guy plays better than everybody else by a wide margin. There's other years where there's a lot of guys that play really, really well. And I think that, honestly, Matthew Stafford has never been in contention for an MVP, not only because he hasn't had you know a lot of MVP seasons. He's had a couple, I think, that are arguable if they were at the right time. And I just think he's gotten hit with some of the right the right seasons at the wrong time kind of thing. He's had amazing seasons. He's just been overshadowed by some better guys. So do I think he would have an MVP, even if he had his best season at the right time? It would be a stretch for him to have one, but I think he would have been contention if he got lucky two or three times by now. So I do like that stat. I do think that the first team all pro, again, he's just had really good seasons at the wrong time, been unlucky with that. One Pro Bowl. I do expect him now that he's on the ramps to actually amass some more Pro Bowls throughout his career, but we're obviously looking at a few to retire today. And then I, I also looked at the average of all three of those quarterbacks in all of their stats. So they averaged 16.6 seasons together. Uh, they had... This is excluding Matthew Stafford. This is the three Hall of Famers. They averaged 418 touchdowns, 238 interceptions, 58,000 yards, 64% completion percentage, 92 passer rating, uh, and they averaged a lot of personal accolades. Now, one that everybody was really knocking Stafford on was the rings, and they were averaging 1.3 Super Bowl rings. Stafford has one, so I do think that he has kind of fulfilled that criteria, even though I don't like it. I know other people do. So I do feel like he has kind of met that one. Now looking at if Stafford, if we were to up Stafford to the average of these guys. So like I said, they played an average of 16.66 seasons. If we were to take Stafford's career and just bump him up to 16.66 seasons and stretch him out, which I know Tom doesn't like to do, but I do feel like after 13 seasons of actual data, I would feel like I would feel okay with bumping him out an extra 3.66 seasons as of right now, just to see what he would do at this pace. And at this pace, he would actually be 418 touchdowns is what they get. The other guys have, he would have 414. The other guys average 238 interceptions. Matthew Stafford would have 206. Matthew Stafford would have a two career touchdown to interception ratio. The other guys would have 1.75. Stafford would have 64,070 yards. The other guys would have 58,707. 
The other guys have 64.2 completion percentage. Stafford would have 63, so a little behind there. The other guys would have a 92 average passer rating. Matthew Stafford would have a 91.1 passer rating. So statistically and everywhere but completion percentage, he is right there on average with all those other guys. And I feel like if you if you want to take Matthew Stafford out of this, you kind of have to take Kurt Warner, at least in the conversation, take him out a little bit because Kurt Warner is statistically not as good as Matthew Stafford in any way pretty much right now already other than individual accolades. So I do think that if we were to stretch out Stafford to 16.66 seasons, as much as we can bump up the stats, I am going to say I'm not going to bump up his individual accolades. I'm not going to suddenly give him an MVP. I'm not giving him any first-team All-Pro selections. And even though I do think he will get more Pro Bowls, I'm not going to actually on paper give them to him. I'm just going to say he has the one. Uh, just because we're only giving him extra three seasons, I don't know how it'll go. But statistically speaking, I do think that Matthew Stafford is a Hall of Fame quarterback right now if he retired. I don't think it would be first ballot or even second ballot. I think it would be a likely third or fourth or even uh, one of those where he gets in like 50, 60 years from now uh, and it's kind of a throwback player. But I do think that he would get in. All right, so that's my argument. Tom, I'm going to throw it to you. That was very well done, Tony. I have to admit, I'm pretty impressed. Uh, I did not do nearly as much research. I've spent the past few days writing a paper on accounting law and accounting ethics, so I've been a little busy a little short of time. Um, but my argument is relatively simple. So I I took the no position, but it's more like a no and position. So no, Matthew Stafford should not make the Hall of Fame and, you know, he can in the future. He just has work to do. Like, I do think he will end up being a Hall of Fame player. But if he retired, he's right outside the threshold of a Hall of Fame player. So Tony mentioned this statistic earlier that we really like to use called the Hall of Fame Monitor. It's done by Pro Football Reference. It's one of my favorite sites of all time, Pro Football Reference. And this is one of my favorite pages on that site um, because, it you know, it updates pretty much I believe on the daily or at least every time there's some notable change. So probably weekly. Um, But anyway, so Matthew Stafford by the hall of fame metric, he's only a 68.44. The average hall of fame quarterback is 109. Now, like Tony says, that does factor in, you know, wins pro bowl accolades and in super bowls. So, you know, maybe that's unfair. Maybe it isn't. So here's why I think how, Pro Football Reference does their their Hall of Fame monitor makes sense. So the actual mission of the Hall of of the Pro Football Hall of Fame is to honor the heroes of the game, preserve its history, promote its values, and celebrate excellence everywhere. So the values are commitment, integrity, courage, respect, excellence, and the vision is it's not just the past, it's the future. It's not just about Canton, it's the world. It's not just a great museum for football. It's a message of excellence everywhere. I do think Matthew Stafford fits that definition of excellence. However, because of the totality of a career, I don't think it's fair to just knock off awards and say that maybe this is a less important criterion and to just discount a career on that. I know that is why Tom Brady does actually lead the Hall of Fame monitor over Peyton Manning by about like two points. And then it's it's those two and then Aaron Rodgers because those two have, I believe, the most... Uh, I think Peyton Manning has the most MVPs. Rodgers is, what, one MVP behind Tony? Or, excuse me, Brady is one MVP behind Rodgers. Tony, does that sound right? 
Uh, yeah, Peyton has five, Rodgers has four, Brady has three. Okay, so that's what, you know, it makes sense why those guys, it's, you know, it's those three and then all, pretty much all the rest. But I think you have to factor in those awards because that is a part of the game. That's a part of the excellence. Those collection of those accolades does point to an excellent quarterback overall. So I think that because Stafford is so below the average Hall of Fame quarterback, he should not be first ballot, but I do think that he can be a third ballot quarterback. Now, moving over to the actual math part of my argument, because this is a very you know math-based show. So uh, another thing that I really like about pro football reference is they do something called adjusted passing. So adjusted passing takes various different metrics, I'll read them off in a second, and applies them to the rest of the NFL and grades them on a scale of 100 being average, anything below 100 is below average, and anything above is obviously above average. And so how it works is it's relatively straightforward. So for Matthew Stafford, his yards per attempt plus, so that's yards per attempt index, obviously, like I said, 100 is better. Uh, the higher, the better. So Stafford has a yard attempt index of 102, a net yards per attempt of 103, an adjusted yards per attempt of 104, a net yards per attempt of 104.5, completion of 101, touchdown percentage of 105, interception percentage of 103.5, a sack percentage of 104.6, and a overall passer rating index of 103.8. Now those are all above average, um, albeit slightly. It's it's not great. So he is an above average quarterback, I think, for sure. I don't think anybody's going to try and dispute that. He is a great quarterback. However, that's those aren't like standout Hall of Fame numbers. And somebody that Tony really said that, you know, was comparable as Kurt Warner, that Kurt Warner should be kind of thrown out if we say that Stafford isn't worthy. So actually, while Tony was talking, I pulled up Kurt Warner's adjusted passing numbers and saw what his average over the life of his career was. So Warner's average, 116 for his yards per attempt. His net yards per attempt was 114. His adjusted net yards per attempt was 112. Um, you know, his completion percentage was 119. His touchdown percentage was 104. His interception percentage was 100.7. His sack percentage was below average, 98.64, and his overall rating was 112.1. Those are you know his career long averages. But the thing that I think is most telling in the difference between Matthew Stafford and Kurt Warner is that you have to remember, you know, these guys definitely played in a different era. And so Matthew Stafford, it's really hard to compare the two because they played it, you know, they played in a different era. I believe Kurt Warner, you know, he retired in 2009 and Matthew Stafford started playing in 2009. So they obviously, the com- the com- careers are hard to compare. But you can't compare them in the context of when they played, which is incredibly important. I think something that gets lost, like with, with the Michael Jordan-LeBron debate, is that they play in very different eras, and that context is important. So Kurt Warner, well, let me start with Matthew Stafford. So Matthew Stafford led across the adjusted passing in just two areas, and it wasn't actually an adjusted passing. He just led the league in attempts in 2011 and then in 2012. The Lions went ten and six, and then four and twelve, respectively, um, in, in those in those seasons. Here's the problem, though, is that those are the only two times he's led the league in anything. Kurt Warner, meanwhile, 
absolutely dominated the league from 1999 to 2001. He led the league in the following categories all three years. Yards per attempt index, net yards per attempt index, adjusted net yards per attempt, completion percentage. And then he led the following the NFL in the following categories twice, adjust, adjusted yards per attempt and that was in 1999 and then 2001. And then he led the league in passing touchdown percentage in 1999 and 2001. And then quarterback rating index in 1999 and 2001. And then also had a career high interception percentage index that actually led the NFL in 2004. So while Warner may not hold, like his numbers are not going to age well in comparison to the quarterbacks of now because there's so much more, you know, offense has changed in the NFL and how we play the game itself has changed. But in the context of his era, Warner was a much more dominant player than Matthew Stafford was. So that's kind of my case is that Stafford is a great quarterback, but in the context of this era, he is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's definitely, I think, a Hall of Famer. He can continue to grow his case, but he is not first ballot by any means necessary. Yeah, and I that's I would agree with that, is that I don't think that he is a first ballot. I would say that as kind of a rebuttal for Kurt Warner being so dominant, as much as you have to take into account the times and the eras that they played in, I would also say take into account the level of teams that they played on, just because most of Matthew Stafford's career was obviously uh, played on the Lions. They were never a good team. And as we just saw, Stafford's been on the, on the Rams for one year. And yes, he led the league in interceptions. I get to attribute that to he's learning a new system. So I do think that I will give him a pass this year alone on that. But in one year, he already tied his career high in touchdowns from the Lions. So I think that you're on a better team as a quarterback, you're going to play better. And Kurt Warner throughout his career was on consistently better teams than the Lions have been over Matthew Stafford's career. So I think that given given how well he's played with no cast around him, poor coaches and an organization that can couldn't run a high school team, honestly, I think that you do have, also have to kind of credit him for being maybe not the most dominant player in the league, but He's been on the worst team every single year, but this year. So I do think he also had Calvin Johnson. He did have Calvin Johnson for a while. That's absolutely true. But to have one Calvin Johnson, but still with a team of, I mean, not nobodies, you're in the NFL. So you're somebody if you're in the NFL. But amongst the NFL, kind of the lower tier guys, you, I mean, you can't, you can't really compare that to a, Tom Brady, who was on fantastic teams with great coaches every year. It's just, it's so much harder to do that on a worse team. For sure. And that's why he still gets the props of being a Hall of Fame player. Just not first ballot? Yeah, just not first ballot. I think he is a Hall of Fame player. I just don't think that he is A, a lock, or B, a first ballot player. I think he's going to get in eventually because it's, you know, with, I feel like with the Hall of Fame in most sports, like a decent, you know, it's not, the NFL is not the NBA where everybody gets into the Hall of Fame practically. Yeah. But I do think that enough people get in that, you know, it's hard. Look, if Stafford can just be good with the Rams and have winning records for the rest of the career with the Rams before he retires or moves teams, he's going to get in. He's going to imp- increase his he's going to improve his case. But right now, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, if a Hall of Famer at all. I think that the fact that, like I said, how good Warner was, I mean, that's true. 
but even this year when Stafford was on a loaded team, he still didn't lead the league in any of those advanced passing numbers categories. True. And I, I do agree. I think there is that I would, the only defense I would have for him in that is just learning a new system. You're with a new team. He is incredibly intelligent, but to do that all with a new, uh, you know, new coaching staff, new kind of form of how you're playing. I still think that he did beyond what I would have expected him to do just in his first league with a completely new system. He did have 41 touchdowns, which I think was second, if I'm not mistaken in the league. Right, Tom? Um, let me check. Actually, I have my. I, I think it's second. It's it's scores. top. It's like top three. So I'm not going to knock him for that, even though he didn't league. He still had 41. Second, yes. Yeah, second. He still had almost 5,000 yards, 67.2 percent completion percentage. Really, the only knock this year he had was that interception count, and I'm willing to attribute that to a new system. He had 102.9 passer rating. Like he's he did phenomenal things in a new year with a new team. And I only see this team meshing and getting better. Yeah. But he also had Cooper cup. Like if we're going to talk about accounting for variables, like quality teammates, he had a wide receiver who by Zelo was 30 points better than the next guy down. Well, yeah, but so did Jared Goff and Jared Goff's not like he didn't Cooper cup didn't bolster him any. He definitely elevated it uh, cup, but still the fact that, you know, he had a receiver who basically made the rest of the league look like garbage. It's a testament to that you know, Stafford. I think one that proves that Goff is just that bad, and two, it proves that Stafford, you know, also had a good year, also had a good team. I mean, Kurt Warner in in those seasons when he was playing with the Rams, you know, it, it wasn't like he'd been on that team for years. He stepped into a team relatively fresh. Yeah, absolutely, and. So did Stafford, and he threw 41 touchdowns. So I think that Cooper Cup was a phenomenal player this year, but at the same time, you kind of have to wonder, well, is it also that Cooper Cup played phenomenal because Cooper Cup is just phenomenal or because Matthew Stafford came in the season and is a fantastic quarterback himself? So I don't know yet which one to throw it to. Well, I think we'll have to wait another year to see if Cooper Cup is able to sustain the success. I think right now, for me, it's leaning in favor towards Stafford showing up just because Cooper Cup was never anything that special before Stafford showed up. Let's see, hold on a second. He was a good receiver for sure, but he was not doing what he what he did this year, of course. Uh, I mean, the year prior, you know, obviously he did not have the same yards per game or yards overall, but last year, playing only 15 games with Jared Goff, he almost cracked a thousand yards. Granted, you know. I, he had a 74% catch total. So I think given the quarterback he was working with, he did pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. He did pretty good with Jared Goff. But I think that Matthew Stafford is such an elevation, which we would both agree that Matthew Stafford is way better than Jared Goff. Yeah, that's pretty much debate. every metric. So I think that we can expect all of the receivers to be playing with Matthew Stafford to do better than they would with Jared Goff. And I think we've seen that this year. But I do think that Stafford holds a heavy hand in the team's success this year, 41 touchdowns. Again, the only knock he has is those 17 interceptions, which is a lot and is very detrimental. But in all other categories, he did phenomenal. Yeah, I'm not disputing that he did good this year. I need to see more of this year from him. Yeah, and I do think that we will continue to see more. But him being able to do this this year shows that, you know, maybe his his lack of individual accolades is less because he wasn't performing in prior years 
and more because he was doing it through so much adversity on such poor teams. Yeah, I'm not disputing that, but I need to see more. Yeah, and I think I think we will see more. I, again, I think the only thing that we will honestly see more like individual accolades wise is Pro Bowls. I don't think we see any first team All Pros out of him, and I I seriously doubt we get any MVPs at this point in his career. I don't know how much longer he'll play for, but who knows? He could be entering his prime right now as he goes into, you know, obviously a fantastic team. Who knows how they'll go with their cap situation and draft picks down the line. So we'll see how the team does, but I don't think I'm going to doubt Stafford's ability to play well. And because of what he's already done, I do think that he would be probably a third ballot hall of famer. Uh, looking at their cap situation, the fact that they're $22 million over the cap without having signed a free agent might you know, hurt the team. I know that obviously there are ways of manipulating the cap, but at some point you have to pay it. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah, I think we'll that the team that is... I, I, I think that I would agree with you that he will rack up Pro Bowls. Yeah, but not. I don't see him doing a whole... I don't see him having the time to really do a whole lot other than that unless he has kind of a Brady-esque length of career for another 10 years. I mean, he is 33 right now. So realistically, I do think that he has, I would give him five to six more years of quality football left in him. Yeah, maybe. It also depends on how well the the team's able to stick together. True. I think those years of taking sacks on the Lions are, might catch up to him in his, in his late 30s. <laughs> Yeah, especially if the team, you know, if the team stops spending on the offensive line because they had a really good offensive line. Very under talked yeah. about offensive line. Absolutely. All right. Well, let us know what you guys think. Um, actually, let's take advantage of the emojis. If you think I won, press your emoji. Okay. Oh. Oh. Okay. okay I won. All right, okay. Tom. You I can also stop hitting the fire. emojis. I did not actually. I didn't touch the emojis. Um, okay, if you think Tony won, hit the thumbs up. Ooh, I got a fire. Okay, I got a fire and a thumbs up, so... Oh, I got two fires. Okay, that's just somebody pressing fire twice. I think that's just James pressing fire twice. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm going to take it. We both got two emojis. Oh, I got I got a laugh in. Yeah, they were laughing at you, not with you. Okay, but <laughs> I, I don't know what to call that. I guess I'll call it a tie for now, but... I don't know. Let us know. You can find us on Twitter and tweet at us who won the debate. I know Chase is pretty active on Twitter, so Chase maybe can let us know. Weigh in. It's always good. But let's go over to the the next segment, which was to talk about the Zillow model. So, you know, to continue to pat ourselves on the back, Tony and I predicted the Super Bowl champion. We almost had the actual Super Bowl, which would have been Chiefs Rams, which would have been awesome. But we did actually pick the Super Bowl champion, but so did the model. The model did pick the Rams. So, to kind of give a performance view because we cite it so much and talk about it so much, we want to let you know be transparent and talk about how accurate the model was overall. So, Tony, you know where where should we start? Um, do you want to go through a? How, let, do you want to go do it by week or by team? So, I actually I've prepared both. I've prepared by week, by type of game by team and then like accuracy in terms of how the model predicted each team at the start of the season versus how it ended up being in reality. And I compared it to fire 38 on that front. So I think it should be interesting. Okay. Um, so should we start with the pickums? Let's do the pickums. So for the pickums, Zillow ended up going, I believe 65%. So it's, 
you know, a little under 65% at 183 to 101 games. So it's definitely a bit of a downslide from last year, but this year was one much more chaotic and two, uh, the model didn't perform the entire season last year, it performed about a little over, well, two thirds, we'll say. Um, so teams were a little bit more established. I think the season was also a little bit more chaotic, um, but Zelo did finish better than you and I, Tony. And I, as I always like to say, I never know how to feel about that. I mean, technically, the model is an extension of you. So if I were you, I'd be, I'd be, you know, rolling with that. True, but whenever it's wrong, I always like, like, yeah, that wasn't me. <laughs> um, you and I to compare finished one hundred and seventy three and eleven, one hundred eleven. That was me, and then Tony finished one hundred and seventy and one hundred and fourteen. So. No, okay. Not not super far off from each other, but we were a little ways away from the model. The top picker in so we compare ourselves to ESPN because it's the standard we aspire to be. The top analyst was Bowen at 187 and 97. So he was four games ahead of the model. He had a really strong first half of the season, and then you know I think everybody kind of regressed a little bit as the season went on. It feels like crazy to say. Um, and the two lifetime. So every single pick that they've made. At the same time, the model is two games ahead of Bowen, so he's he's very consistent. He's very good. Um, but yeah, so I think it's pretty accurate. I don't know if I'm going to say it's the most accurate thing in sports, but for uh, an Excel spreadsheet, I think it's pretty accurate. I mean, for an Excel spreadsheet, I think it's a whole lot more than an Excel spreadsheet at this point. It's insanely accurate to predict the last two Super Bowls accurately. It's an insane tool to have and I'm, I'm assuming it's only two years old it's only gonna get better from here yeah no i'm definitely trying to improve it and over the course of this offseason that's probably what we'll spend a lot of time talking about our ways that we've improved it tweaked it you know thought about making suggestions etc um so let's move to the type of game classification so because i based a lot of this off of 538 they have four different criteria for a, a prediction that i applied to my own model so there's toss-up which is the outcome was between 50% and 59%. So if, if the model gave a team a 59% chance of winning, the game was labeled as a toss-up. A lean is 60 to 74%. A likely is 75% to 94%. And a solid is 95% to 99%. So Tony, do you, we've talked about it a little bit. Um, remembering a type of game. So, you know, if for the toss-up category, it's 50 to 59% you want the result to finish within that deci within that percentage range. So you yeah. want to get about 50% of your toss-ups right because that means you're accurately classifying toss-ups. Do you remember where the model finished with toss-ups? With toss-ups, 50 to 59. It was a high 50. I remember that, like 57? Really close. It was 58.5% uh, of the time the, okay. that it got toss-ups right. So that's a number... A little, like you said, a little high wouldn't be particularly a fan of getting that number, you know, next season. I want, I almost want it to go down a little bit uh, because it means that maybe really? the models, you don't want it to be too high, right? Because then that means at some point, some of the games that you're classifying as toss-ups aren't really toss-ups. Yeah, but isn't, isn't kind of like the range that you don't want to be above like a low 60? Because I feel like anything in the 50s, it's still a toss-up, but it's just the model's slightly more accurate. Because if it's a toss-up and the model's actually 50-50, at that point, I would honestly say that is that so much the model is solid or the model just has a 50-50 chance of guessing right? 
I think I'm not saying I want it to be 50-50. I'm saying that I'd like it to be maybe like more like 55 because I think the problem is, is that some of the games that the model seems to toss ups maybe should have been more like a lean, if that makes any sense. So you would want to bump up some of those kind of higher percentage games to the next category. Like, yeah, the, I think it, so I think the model is misclassifying some of these toss ups. Okay. You know, and I, I think it's hard to say that, but on an initial view, I feel like that's what I would say is that the model maybe is misclassifying a handful of those toss ups. Um, so I, I would like to see that number go down a little bit and lean because, uh, you know, I'll, I guess it makes, it doesn't make sense without the next context with the context of the next category, but lean, which is 60% to 74%, um, is only a 62% accuracy. So it, the model went 48 and 34 for toss ups. It went 54 and 33 for leans. So that's why I would like to see a few more of those correct predictions be leans next year and a few less be toss ups to kind of bump up the lean because it underperformed in lean very dramatically. Okay. What would would be an ideal percentage for leans that you would actually want to see? I would really like to see 67%. I'd like to be right, you know what I mean? Like right down the middle with all of these categories. Okay. I like that. So you'd want to bump down, you'd want to bump down the 50, 50 games to bump it down, maybe two or 3% which would in turn hopefully bump up the other one, two or three. Yes, very much so because, and okay. the next one is, so it miscategorized likelies. Um, I think mildly alarmingly. So, and again, I think that this is just because it was a very chaotic season, but likelies, which is 75% to 94% the model went 73 and 35 for only a 68% accuracy. So it's not even in the criterion range, whereas the other two were, which is problematic. Yeah, I do. I I do like that you throw in there this season because this season was unnaturally crazy, and I do think that that will be mm-hmm. hopefully righted. I'm I'm hoping that this was a bit of an outlier season for a lot of these teams because there were an an odd number of upsets that happened every single week. It's really what killed me down the stretch uh, for our little one on one competition we had. So I'm hoping that next year will be a little more reliable, and that number will kind of just naturally go back up. Yeah, me too. And the problem is, is that when I started doing this, like I did genuinely do a lot of research over the off season last year, between last year and this year, to try and correct some of the things and improve the model in a few little ways. And tracking this data was one of the ways I did that. And unfortunately, I don't have that data from last year. So I can't I don't have anything to compare it to. So, you know, maybe this is a a really bad year compared to last year. Unfortunately, I just I wasn't classifying games. Okay. But yeah, so I, 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 you know, I hope that it will improve too. I, I just can't tell you if this is a down year or not. Um, and then so the the one I am proudest of, solid. That's ninety five percent to ninety nine point nine nine nine. I'm repeating it forever, whatever. Um, the model went seven and zero in those games, so it did not make those predictions very rare. You know, it made them very rarely, but when it did make them, it was basically a certainty. Which is exactly what you want, right? You don't want that to be a high number. Exactly, solid should be just nailing every single time like if if the model makes a solid pick that team should never lose is there a number like throughout the season i know that something we said was when there was a solid game it was like a talking point because it just didn't happen that much is there an a certain quantity of those games that you like that you would be concerned if the model is picking like if it was picking one a week would you be concerned 
Um, yes and no. I would be concerned if it started losing those games, right? Like, if the model says every single game is a 95% certainty and then it gets every single game, I'm okay with that. Like, it, as long as it's performing within the margins of, of the, the classification, that's when you start getting concerned. Okay. So there's not a so number. In a perfect world, you would want every single game to be a 95 to 99 and it'd be 100% accurate. Exactly. I'd like us to be like our friend Harrison Kent, who uh, gets every single game right. Of course. He's never gotten anything (laughs) wrong, ever. Never. I mean, he did predict Derrick Henry getting injured. That is true. Um, (laughs) um, So anyway, so the course of an NFL season, uh, there are 284 games played. That, you know, is, of course, counting the Super Bowl. Um, So... Instead of looking at those numbers, I'm going to just knock it down to 100. If the model predicted 100 games or we took 100 samples from the NFL season, I would expect 17 games to be a toss-up win, 12 games to be a toss-up loss, 19 games to be a lean win, um, about you know another 12 games to be a lean loss, 26 to be a likely win, 12 to be a likely loss, and then 3 to be a solid win, and then 0 to be a solid win. So, you know, that's... I think, you know, obviously want those numbers to reflect their margins a little bit more. Like I said, like 50-50, I think is probably a little fine there, but I I, I want to see those numbers adjust a little bit, and I'm hoping that they will next year. So being, fo- being straightforward and honest with you guys, you know, I think we did well this season, but can improve a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Want to let's let's get James in here. I see he's been he's been calling in for a little bit. Yeah, I was trying to find a natural place to to stop and allow him to come in. Um, yeah, sorry, welcome, James. Welcome to the program, James. What are your thoughts, Tom? I'm I'm gonna have to say twenty one led the baby because I don't. I think Matthew Stafford is one hundred percent gonna be a second ballot Hall of Famer, and here's why. All the years that he was on the Lions, he always had a horrible team, but he was the only reason that they were good. I mean, the couple seasons that they had Megatron, you can't just use that. It's one player. Football's a team sport. Yes, no, for for sure. Do you have any questions relating to this specific segment? Uh, I really, I'm still struggling to understand how this really works. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we have done. Tony, we did an explanation podcast way, way back, right? Yeah, we did. I think we did one on – we might have done one or two back on Spotify. Honestly, that might be the best place to go uh, if you want to listen back to that, James. I Wait, don't know you guys are on Spotify? Yeah, I don't know if we've made that known enough. We we were originally on Spotify under this exact same name and logo. We just – we recently came on to Colin. But, yeah, we did a show for like seven or eight months before this. Uh, on Spotify, if you just go look up the Touchdown Rundown, I believe we did a model, like, full hour explanation of it. Yes. Do you, I, still, do you guys still do Spotify? No, we, we want to be exclusive not, to get people to call in. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh. We, so, Tony, to the, the first week in week seven of the NFL season on October 19th, we did a model talk episode. So I highly recommend you guys go check that one out. It's about 40 yep. minutes long, so it's a good listen. It's an interesting listen, and hopefully it'll it'll answer some questions that you have about kind of what we're talking about. So please go check that one out if you do have questions. Yeah, right. and if you want to go listen back to those, 
uh, we've made a lot of predictions for this season over the summer of last year. So if you want to go listen to those, you can kind of see where we were last year, what we got right and what we got wrong. And we're, I can guarantee you, we're going to make just as many predictions over this next summer. And they are going to probably be some that age like wine and others that age like milk. It's the best way to do it is to just not know what's going to be good. And then you, you celebrate the bad. I mean, you celebrate the good and hide the bad. <laughs> yeah, you just throw you throw as many darts as the wall and hope you hit bullseyes. You just increase your volume to increase your odds. Exactly. And then um, the thing. Yeah, go ahead. So, so yesterday I was on a Zoom call for class. And Colin Sexton, the Cavs uh, point guard, actually came in there. I was freaking out. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Nice job. What did you guys talk to him about? Oh, you were just talking about, like, mentality and, like, stuff that motivated him when he was, like, a kid and stuff. Nice. Well, you better get him on the show. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) Talk basketball with him. I think that might blow up your your show on on calling. Yeah, that'd be awesome if you get in. I I know I'd listen, for sure, 100%. (laughs) All right, well, uh. I'm gonna go let you, let you go. Keep going. Thanks. We appreciate Thanks, it, James. Have a good one. You too. You too. So the next area that I wanted to talk about was the spread, and I know Tony that this is you know I, I believe it was Tanner who likes to say scared money don't make money, um, and so yep. that's why he always bets on the spread. the The model should not bet on the spread. It's accurate about forty percent of the time with regards to the spread, which is not great. I know. Uh, that's something that definitely needs to be improved this off season. I don't particularly know how to, so be something worth looking into for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know last off season when you're kind of talking about the model, it was good. It was solid. And last season, your kind of summer focus was to improve the money line. I know you wanted to, in the end, eventually improve the spread aspect of it as well, but the money line was the big focus. Is your big focus this offseason going to be the spread, or do you want to give it one more season to get some of the money line numbers a little more accurate? So I don't think I'm really going to be able to change the money line any more than I already have. So I think one thing that I, a project that I am looking forward to doing is actually trying to figure out the over-under of games. So working on the total, I think I found a way to sort of do that. I I know that Tony, I've told you about this. Um, but over the over winter break when I had a lot of time on my hands, I built a way to predict the over under and went ten and six while doing so. It's just it's very time consuming and sort a little inefficient. So I need to, you know, make the process in doing that more efficient and, you know, maybe go and back test it against all the scores from this season, build more data to try to more perfect the the equations that I've made. But I'm very excited about over-under, so I think that'll be what I spend this offseason trying to predict, just because, look, the spread is so hard, and I have a few theories about how I can make some tweaks and adjustments, but I think the over-under is the area that the model hasn't really had a an ability to predict, and that would be more interesting and exciting to me. Yeah, and I do. I think that it would be significantly more difficult to do a accurate spread algorithm than an accurate money line algorithm. Is there like a certain? I don't know how you'd want to do it. Like a success percentage of correct uh, spread, I guess numbers that it would spit out. Like, what's your ideal? Obviously, a hundred is your ideal. But what's your <laughs> realistic ideal on what? To- 
at this point, I would just like to be at 50%. <laughs> um, and so, look, I mean, the model actually, I think, give me a second to calculate something here because I, so I don't know if from, well, I guess you guys haven't listened to Spotify stuff, but from Spotify, you'll remember that, or, well, you won't, but <laughs> sorry. So <laughs> I'm trying to set this up. So when we were on Spotify, um, there you go. What, I explained to the audience then was how the the model was going to work before because something that Tony had pointed out is hey, you know, a huge problem here is that you know, we we don't have concrete numbers going into week 1 and even when we do get those numbers they're going to be incredibly volatile because the model works on averages and if you only have one game it's going to be a skewed and weird average that's not going to be accurate. And so how I kind of got around that problem was I took fantasy predictions and converted them over to real player predictions and used those to run the model. And so I think, you know, factoring out the first four weeks of the season, because that was the time frame that I used those predictions, um, the model actually does improve to being, you know, 42, 43% accurate for the spread. So I do think that that might be a, a sort of thing that hurts the the model a little bit because during the the time frame that in the early season that it was on those predictions it actually went 24 and 40 so that's a very damaging stretch yeah and there's i mean other than fantasy projections there's really no way to account for that i mean we just you just simply don't know how players are going to do some players are one-year wonders some players are going to be one-year wonders like who could have ever guessed last year the cooper cup was going to be the triple crown winner this just year? just go off yeah there's just no way to account for that so i do think that while you should never aim to just toss out data there is probably a certain point where it's like maybe the model should we should really start taking stats from like week three or four when things are a little more concrete mm-hmm. and before that just kind of let it average out what it yeah, no, I, that's definitely not a bad theory at all, and I, that's something that I think you can and probably should do with the spread. If you do that for the money line, it jumps to sixty-seven percent accurate instead of sixty-four. So you know, it helps a little bit for sure. So I think that's not a bad idea, uh, but I do want to give a holistic view of the model for for the audience in case they, you know, I've had friends ask me for betting advice, and I always just give them the models because it's it's better than mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Historically, the model has outperformed both of us like consistently over a season from it its hurts. beginning. <laughs> yeah, no, it really. And Tony, I mean, I, you were kicking the model's butt for a little bit early on in the season. But that's that's where I kind of wanted to say, like, maybe we should toss some data because that's the model doesn't know what to go off of. Like at the beginning of the season, we have kind of an advantage because we know how players kind of tend to play but the model's just going off of that season's numbers i mean like these players are brand new new -hmm. people to the model essentially so i do think in like the first six weeks i would expect us to generally outperform the model's numbers but past that i think the model's gonna win every time yeah no i mean that's definitely an, an interesting point and i think it's worth considering so you know like i said it does improve I think stats across the board by about three or four percent. So you know, 
can basically everything I say, just uh, you know, keep in mind that it is the holistic view. And if we do factor out those four, first four weeks where it's going off of fantasy data, that's a little wonky. You know, add a couple of percent percentage points to that. All right, so let's move to the the next way that we can kind of gauge how good the model is. So earlier on in the year, before we joined Colin, I wrote a column for the Observer where I out you know I laid out exactly how the model thought everything was going to go based off of those fantasy projections. Um, and I was actually really impressed and happy with this. So looking at the projected wins and losses and comparing them to the actual wins and losses, the model was only for an AFC team. It was only 1.2 games off, which I think is really good. That's a really good sign. And then for the NFC, it was about 1.3 games off. And that makes an overall average of just under 1.3 games off per team throughout the season. The biggest outlier for the model and its prediction. Um, hold on a second. The biggest outlier was the Jacksonville Jaguars because obviously Trevor Lawrence underperformed expectations. If your name wasn't Tony Nemeti, if it was Tony Nemeti, he performed just exactly where you thought he'd be. Called it. So the the data that I got from ESPN had Trevor Lawrence basically winning Offensive Rookie of the Year. Of course, didn't do that. Besides Stafford, he had the most interceptions in the NFL. So the model actually predicted the Jaguars would go seven and ten, and instead they went three and fourteen. So that was a pretty big uh, outlier for sure. Yeah, and but I do kind of want to say though, to the model's credit, seven and ten to three and fourteen is actually not that big of a difference if that's your like your biggest one. Yeah, four games, but four games is your worst kind of team on a player that's supposed to be generational and turn the team around, yada, yada. I would think that's... Oh, no, I'm super thrilled that that was the worst, uh, for sure. And, you know, we'll get to 538 in a second, because I, I don't think they had a team, a prediction that performed worse. They just performed worse, slightly worse in general. Um, the best team, the team that the model was most on the money for, was the Bears. It predicted them to go 6-11. and 11. Of course, that's exactly what happened, so I was very pleased with that, no offense to the Bears. I didn't want it to go six and eleven, but you know, just it's just what happened. No, full offense to the Bears. You okay, terrible. Yeah. Okay, I forget. There's a Packers fan <laughs> among us. Of course, Tony. You that. own them. Don't you want them to be better? Well, no. They're kind of like the tank company that you use for tax break purposes. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> um, okay. So let's move to five thirty eight, and we can. Actually, do you think it makes sense to go through the teams specifically that the models offer? Is that a little too specific? Uh, I think for sake of time, probably not. Okay. No, that's fair. Um, okay, so let's go to 538. So for 538, on average, they were 1.4 games off in the AFC. And then in the NFC, they actually performed very poorly because they had basically everyone in the NFC West going 10-7, and 7, um, except for the Cardinals, ironically, who very much outperformed expectations by about three games. Um, so they went, they were off by 1.7 games per team. That averages out to being 1.5 per game uh, games per team. So what do you make of that, Tony? I mean, I think it's kind of like you said, it's not that 538 was necessarily, you know, super bad on a couple teams. It's just that they were good on a lot of teams. The model was just consistently a little. 
Yeah, no, ever so slightly. So that was, I think that's something that was very exciting because I, I see 538 as kind of the golden standard. And so it's nice to know that not only did we outpick them on the money line, I think they they probably did a little bit better on the spread. Um, but, you know, we outperformed them ever so slightly on just games in general. So that was something very exciting, I think. So is, is your goal I, just for seasons down the road? I'm sure you have a benchmark of like anything better than this is good and anything worse than this is bad is it like what 1.5 games is that kind of your your line um that's a really good question that's something that i think yeah i think 1.5 is probably anything any more games off than that neither it's just a completely wacky season or um i i did something wrong and i think what's interesting and i i do want to ask you this tony is that it's hard to make this our baseline season because we think it's one of the crazier seasons. Um, sure. So do you think that the model is going to do better? Because I think it has the potential to do better. Well, I think that if this is a crazy season and it did 1.3, I can realistically see in maybe an inverse season where it's a little bit Predictable. more like predict, like whatever people predict is kind of generally what happens and there's more obvious team success i could see it cracking i don't want to say cracking like 0.7 but like around 1.9 maybe i think one one for sure one is probably the absolute ceiling yeah one is i don't know how much more how much better you can get because i mean if you want to go more than one that pretty much means you can't have any team that's off by more than like each two or three yeah no i mean you would you really couldn't have a whole lot of teams that were off by anything. You'd either have to have a couple of teams that were off by a lot, and then everybody's practically perfect, or everybody's pretty consistently predictable. And you know, if there's one thing we know about the NFL, it's that it's never consistent. It's always unpredictable. Yeah, that's the only real thing that we all can definitely say every week is that it will not be predictable 100% of the time. It just mm-hmm. never will. No, it never has been, never will. Uh, so let's close by doing the individual teams record. So how the model picked teams this year. So for the let's, I'm going to do this in alphabetical order, just for the sake that's how I organize it on the Excel sheet. So the Cardinals, the model went seven and ten picking the Cardinals. Uh, I have a, a few different theories about that, and I'll be curious to get your thoughts on it, Tony. But they started the season off hot and then just fell off tremendously, and I think that that does confuse the model. Not to mention Kyler Murray got injured, and then Colt McCoy played really well for a few games and then played really horrible in the other games. So the model is just like, dude, make up your mind. Yeah, I. it seems like, and this is kind of something that at the beginning of the season, I don't know if you remember, but it's something I said is that when the Cardinals were at I think it was 6 and 0 when the Packers beat them, right? 7 and 0. 7 and 0. When they were at 7 and 0, they were undefeated and they looked unstoppable. Something that I said either the week they played the Packers or the week before is the team that starts off hot and the team that's like the last undefeated team never wins at all. Never ever. Never. They always burn out at most 3 quarters of the way through the season unless you're you know, the undefeated Patriots. That's like yeah. the one outlier. But other than that, there's one team every year that's out of the blue successful, and they always fall off and are like a first-round playoff exit every time. For sure. Yeah, that was definitely the Cardinals this year. So next, the Falcons, 13-4. and four. No surprises there. The model didn't think they'd be good, and they lived up to, <laughs> to expectations. Uh, the Ravens were 9-8, and eight, and I honestly 
beyond injury, Tony, I don't really have a theory for this one. Nine and eight when picking the Ravens. I mean, Lamar got hurt, so obviously that is to the model. That is probably a bit of a changeup. Honestly, I think Tyler Huntley and Lamar Jackson skill wise are pretty much the same. I think Lamar Jackson is extremely overrated, and I think Tyler Huntley performed pretty well when he was replacing him. So I think the model probably just got confused, honestly. Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, Tyler Huntley and Lamar, Tyler Huntley started out as a better passer, but quickly dipped. Um, do you want to take this color, Tony? Yeah, sure. All right. Welcome to the program, Mateo. Good to have hey, you Hey, thanks. I've, I've done some NFL seasonal bets like in, in a past life. Are you guys recapping what your model said for the past year and then saying how the model did on the actual outcome? Yeah, so we're we're going over just general predictions, and then now we're kind of getting into more of the team specific data. To you know, it's a whole wholly transparent is kind of the goal of the episode. Awesome. You, you know, you should also what also might benefit is just dropping in quickly if you know it what the uh, the last like Superbook MGM line was. Uh, you know, nine months ago. Anyway, I'm enjoying it. Thanks for each team. Yeah, yeah. Like what, what, what? If your model was like how it how it uh diverged from like the the last superbook hilton line That'd yeah I, mean, I think that's definitely something we can bring back in another episode unfortunately with the the lack of time we are trying to quickly get through this but thank you for that input and we hope that you you stick around and continue to enjoy future episodes where we talk about this that is a, yeah, um, that's a great idea we gotta get on that it, it's a really good idea actually uh we'll, we'll definitely have to try and do it in a future model talk episode um let's go over to the bills next so the bills Model was eleven and six on them. I don't think there are really surprises there. Um, you know, a few games where I know for the Steelers game, you know, the Bills were supposed to win that one according to the model. Obviously, they didn't. So, just a few a few games. Not every team is going to perform to exactly expectations. I think realistically, eleven and six is about as good as you can hope for with the average team. Um, okay, so the next team were my beloved Panthers. The model was pretty much spot on with them. Went ten and. Well, not spot on with them, but predicted their record pretty well. They went ten and seven. Uh, the model went ten and seven, I should say, on them. Uh, the Bears, Tony, you get to dunk on the Bears again. The model picked against them pretty much every time, and the model was right thirteen out of four, uh, thirteen and four. So phenomenal! I love the model. Yeah. Uh, so then the model actually did struggle with the Bengals. The Bengals went ten and seven just because they were so kind of hot and cold during some points of the season. Yeah, which I think is just. Obviously, they started off pretty good. They started off, then they kind of, you know, really got hit their stride. And there was like three or four weeks during the season where they just kind of fell off. Burrow looked bad. Jamar Chase looked off for a little bit. He looked like he was almost falling out of the uh, rookie of the year conversation to Mac Jones. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, they came back at the end, no problem. So just a little bit of a weird fluctuation in their performance. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Okay, so the next team that we're going to look at, the Cowboys. 13 and 4. Um, to be expected, Cowboys, you know, similarly to the Bengals, had their stretches where they were just really weird and, you know, couldn't figure out what was going on on offense. So they just had a few weird games, but nothing super unexpected. The bottom went 12 and 5 on the Broncos, which is one that I found surprising. A, a team that the model just never really fell in love with. So I think that it adequately, you know, captured that and portrayed that um, because I know that when the Broncos were 3-0, people were like, oh my gosh, you know, this defense could be pretty good, and obviously that never materialized um, beyond the 3-0 stretch. Yeah, no, I'm liking the Broncos pick. 
The Lions went 13-3. and um, I, I didn't count the tie as a loss or win, obviously, because it didn't predict a loss or a win. So 13-3 against Lions, no surprises there. Picked against them in every single game except for the Packers game. Yeah. No, that yeah, the, the last one at the end of the season. Um, and that was because the Packers ended up resting significant amount of the cast yeah. uh what 13 and 4 against the Packers I know Tony you never liked how it treated the Packers in the playoffs but it did do a decent job of capturing how well they did it did a pretty good job but I think that my main thing wasn't so much that it was underperforming how the Packers would do I think it was just undervaluing their actual score throughout the season but uh, I mean clearly as it's shown record wise it was fine so it must not be a big deal yeah I mean and it did predict how they do in the playoffs, first round out on the first round by. That is that is true. It did predict that. Um, all right, let's move to another one. I, I think I might have hurt Tony's feelings a little bit there. Uh, so it went 11-6 and six against the Texans. I'm going to attribute that largely to Tony's favorite rookie quarterback, Davis Mills. Yep. Um, next, Colts 12-5, and five, no surprises there. Uh, twelve and five against the Jags, so you know those are two really predictable teams. Eleven and six against the Chiefs, which of course I think could be explained by the Chiefs having another also crazy season that's just completely largely unpredictable. Yep. Nope, started off started off unnaturally cold, and I do think that finishing out eleven and six after how weird that start was is pretty good for sure. Um, nine and eight against the Chargers, one of the more poor performances by the model because the Chargers the 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 model favored them in all four of their last four games, and the Chargers went one in three in those four games and ended up missing the playoffs because of it. So, you know, they really kind of fell off at the end of the season. That's something that definitely needs to be explored a little bit more. Yeah, no, our our boy Justin Herbert really, uh, really kind of got robbed there. He he didn't perform, you know, one hundred percent MVP level himself, but that team as a whole just kind of. Got stale towards the end. It seemed like they just—they didn't seem like they were really in it as much as they were at the beginning. Yeah, I feel like Staley almost adhered too much to advanced metrics, which I'm sure is funny to hear me say. Somebody did too much advanced stats. Yeah, that's very um, comical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so the next team that the model did poorly against—I think this is the team that they it, it did worse against, the worst against—were uh, the Raiders. But that's also because the Raiders are the Raiders, and they are just an unpredictable mess. It went 8-9, and and that's as good as it's going to get against the Raiders. No, that's that's to be expected with how this team, all that happened through for this team, the ups and downs just on the field, it was, I can't really. Yeah. Um, okay. So then, for the Dolphins and Vikings, they the model went both eleven and six against them, which is I think surprisingly good, even though they had. Both had very interesting problems that we had no expectation of coming into the season. Yeah, and I mean, I guess, I guess with some of these teams, how things happen that you can't predict that the model's then going to get wrong. Things are probably going to happen that we couldn't predict that the model just gets lucky and gets right, and the Vikings might be a part of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, the Patriots went twelve and five when picking Patriots games, which I think was I found interesting the model loved the Patriots during that stretch of the season and had them in the Super Bowl. I think that was really point. impressive. Honestly, I really do like the how accurate it was for that just cuz just like the Jags, Patriots had a rookie quarterback at the helm for the entire season like you just never know how they're going to do. So, 
going doing that well with the team of the rookie quarterbacks always for sure he boomed while uh while Lawrence busted uh, all right Saints this is the other really bad team that the mall couldn't figure out and I'm just going to attribute it to quarterback play uh, it went eight and nine against the Saints and look that's just it's what happens when you don't have a consistent quarterback yeah this is this is one that you can't really you can't really fault the model on this one. I mean, they went through four different quarterbacks throughout the season. I think it was once Jabo comes back, I think we'll be, a, we'll be a lot more reliable with the model, but as of this season, I'd almost chalk it up uh, and just toss. Yeah. I think you pretty much have to. Okay. Giants 11 and six to be expected. Again, they had a little bit of a, a quarterback thing going on. So I think that's probably where some of those losses ended up coming from. 12 and 5 against the Jets. I'm sure that the Jet anytime the Jets won, the model was like, "Wait, that happened? What? The Jets? You got to be kidding me, man." Um, no, yeah, don't forget the week that Mike White was god. <laughs> that mess with so many predictions. Oh, that kid yeah. like, that demolished the model for a week. I remember that just being absolute chaos. Yeah. So there was one game where the model actually favored the Jets. I've got to know what it was. Can you look up the Jets schedule? It was week 13 that the model actually picked the Jets to win a game, and I have to know who they were playing. Jets schedule, let's see it. Um, wh- while he's... Wh- Winnipeg? It's a, I'm, I'm going to guess hockey. Yeah, no, that's a... Might be the wrong sport. Yeah, wrong sport. Let's see. All right, the NewYorkJets.com official website. Let's see. There we go. That's a little better. Week, week nine. While he's looking that up, um, the, so the, the model went 12 and... F- the Eagles. Week 13 at MetLife Stadium, the Eagles. I can't believe the model favored them against the Eagles. What the heck? Yeah, especially that late into the season. That's when the Eagles are kind of heating up. Yeah, I. that is a weird one. I'm going to be yeah, honest. I'm been really visual Mike White. I am really surprised. Yeah, I think it was definitely residual Mike White. Um, because funny enough, the next team to talk about is the Eagles, and the model was 12-5 and five on them, so apparently the model's just like, you know what, let's be weird this week, and, and took the Jets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay, the next team, the Steelers, 9-7. and seven, It's just a team that, like, you know, that defied expectations by making the playoffs. <laughs> so No, I mean, I, Big Ben had the mobility of a Campbell soup can. It was awful. I think that might be giving him credit because that thing can actually roll downhill. That's true. <laughs> that thing can move. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that one was, makes sense. Ten and seven against the Seahawks. That one can be explained by Russell Wilson, of course. Um, that was just a weird season too. I think I'm noticing a consistent trend here with why the model did weird. Um, okay, so 49ers, thirteen and four. One of the best teams for the model. Uh, the the best team is next. I'll tease that for a second. Why do you think it was thirteen and four against the Forty ers Like I I looking at this, I have an interesting time explaining why I did so well for the Forty ers a team that I couldn't figure out this season. Well, I don't know. I would I would imagine that the the model would actually probably benefit off of the NFC West division because I know the model was so high on so many teams in that division. It probably mm-hmm. had a little bit easier time uh, guessing accurately at the divisional games. Yeah, no, that's actually really interesting, and I may need to do that, break it down by division. That would be really interesting. Okay, um, so the the team that it did best on, 15-2. and two. Can you guess who it is, Tony? I You got three options to you, so I think you'll figure it out. Wait, what are the three options? Well, okay, I guess you don't have three options, but um, if you haven't been 
kind of going through the list. But if you look at the list alphabetically of teams, uh, there are three options left to you. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Tennessee Titans, and the Washington football team. Uh, I'm going to guess Tampa. Yeah, they went 15-2 and on Tampa. It's only losses were in Week 10. I think that was against the Rams in Week 8. So, yeah, interesting. I think the model favored the t- the Bucks in pretty much every game, bar one or two, maybe against the Saints. I don't think it it doesn't like them against the Saints. Okay, I like that. Yeah. Uh, oh, I I may be dumb. Uh, that so actually, it's not a tie between the Saints and the Raiders for worst performance. It's the Titans because they lost Derrick Henry and defied everybody by winning. So yeah, went seven and ten against the Titans. That makes sense. That's another one where you can kind of just chalk it up. Big injury. It happens to the best of us, mostly the rest of us. All right, last team, and then we'll let you go for the weekend. The football team. So the model went eight and nine against the football team. This was a weird one too, just because Heineke. Nobody knows. There were some weeks he was great, and some weeks he was not great. And I don't know. The There's, defense was an enigma. Like that's true. The defense was supposed to be amazing, like top three this season. They started out the first half of the season bottom three, right? They were pretty horrible they were like the worst of the worst yeah no for sure they're they're pretty bad so yeah i i can understand that one there's just so many things that weren't supposed to happen that did happen for that team i can understand that yeah all right everybody that's all we got for this week and i know since you don't have football you're trying to fill the football is void that you feel i know i i definitely am trying to fill that void as well we've done a lot of episodes specifically a model talk more specifically um, a model talk on Colin uh, about how this works. So please go check that out if you're more interested about learning b- the basic functions of the model, how it works, how how good it is, how accurate it's been. Um, but yeah, but beyond that, we'll see you next week. Hopefully, yeah. we'll have Harrison Kent in. He's he's a uh, an analytics guy who's a lot better than me, and he's got a really funny personality on Twitter. Yep. And if you if you're interested, check us out on Spotify. Uh, we are just the Touchdown Rundown with the exact same logo. Uh, so that's just all stuff from last season. We're no longer on Spotify. We're exclusively on here. But if you're bored and want some older content, it's there for you. Yeah, well, I bet you we'll sound really dumb because we're going to say dumb things um, just about the future. Because... Yeah, unless you listen to that Chiefs episode where we predicted they would start horribly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye.